Independent local reporting is the critical link between the actions of local government, the private sector and citizens. That's why the city, an award-winning non-profit news organization in New York City, is producing high-quality and high-impact accountability reporting. The work is free to all and does not require a subscription. Nicholas Doss is the executive director of the city. He leads the city's reporting after 20 years of experience in journalism, including leadership positions at the Hidusan Times in India and the Mail and Guardian in South Africa. I'm Katerina Vucina, project manager at IMED. We spoke with Nicholas Dawes during the International Journalism Week 2022. He talked about how the city's focus on ordinary users and diversity in the newsroom leads to better journalism, especially on high-impact local stories that larger media outlets may have missed. So, Nick, you are a foreign journalist in New York, and you are also the executive director of The City, a local newspaper. I'm just wondering, how can you describe the media environment you are working in? In many ways, New York is the media capital of the world. We have the headquarters of some of the biggest American and global news organizations in New York. Of course, the New York Times, also outlets like CNN, NBC, the big networks, uh, digital startups like Vox Media, BuzzFeed. These are all headquartered in New York. But at the same time, we've had a real decrease over the last 15 years, especially over the last five years, in actual coverage of New York. So the great city tabloids that used to really tell the stories of New York have reduced their staff by, you know, 80% maybe. Um, And the global outlets, outlets like the New York Times, uh, have their eyes fixed somewhere else. They want to attract subscribers nationally, internationally. Um, They're very focused on more affluent audiences. Uh, So that's leaving a real gap in coverage that helps us to understand what is going on in our city of 9 million people. So the city is covering local stories in New York. And um, I was wondering, how do you do that so that you can add value to the information, to the, your, the storytelling and the reporting that you do? So the city is focused on covering New York for New Yorkers. And there are a few different ways in which we try to do that. Some of them are very traditional and will be very familiar to anyone who has followed big city coverage in a newspaper almost anywhere in the world. And some of them are more innovative and more new. Um, And I'll talk a little bit about both of them. But however we approach the problem, whatever tools uh, we use, we care about creating accountability for the powerful on behalf of the people of New York. We also want to help people have more ability to navigate a very complex city and a very complex political and social sphere. So we create tools and explanatory reporting that helps them with that. And finally, we think it's important for New Yorkers to be able to recognize themselves and recognize their own neighborhoods in the coverage of the city. And so we try to talk to them, listen to them, be close to neighborhood issues so that we're able to do that. And we bring to bear a incredible team of reporters who care deeply about New York City and who know it very, very well. They've been covering some of these city agencies that deal with, for example, housing, prisons, uh, the budget for many, many years. 
but they also bring new tools, data journalism, um, public forums where we listen to community members, partner with uh, local libraries, for example, or civic groups, uh, ask them what they want us to tell them about and create some kind of feedback loop between the input we get there, what the data is telling us, and what our experienced reporters learn from their sources or are able to dig out from documents or from hanging around in city council meetings uh, and having their feelers out across the city sensing what's going on. Is there any story you can share from your reporters who are out on the streets and covering? I'll, I'll give you one example, and this is not a special or unusual example. It's just one that happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, New York's public housing system is home to about 600,000 people. That is more than the population of a state like Vermont or a state like Wyoming, states that have two senators in Washington. It gets almost no media coverage and it's very dilapidated. Uh, huge old buildings afflicted with mold, with broken elevators, lead paint, many, many, many problems. And home to a low-income population, largely people of color, who struggle to get their voices heard. And one of our reporters, Greg Smith, has been covering the NYCHA system, the public housing system, for a good three decades now and reporting on some of these issues. So people in the system know him and he's very alert to what's going on structurally. So about three weeks ago, he got a call late on a Friday night that water in one of the biggest public housing complexes in the city tested positive for arsenic. Tested positive for, positive for arsenic two weeks ago, and no one had been told. He called the mayor up, and the mayor's office said, we didn't know anything about this. Immediately that next day, they had to uh, advise people not to drink the water. They had to supply bottled water, set in process a whole effort uh, to remediate what was going on in that complex. The CEO of the Public Housing Authority was demoted just about a week later, and a whole public process of hearings and meetings began. People were very, very angry, of course. Uh, the city then denied that the water was toxic, uh, which created great confusion. And in the middle of all that is Greg. Um, you can imagine him sitting in a hall of 300 angry residents he's sitting there with his notebook uh, writing down the details of what everyone is saying people are approaching him afterwards everyone in the city is calling him trying to get their version of the story told so we have a sequence of five or six stories about this that are published day after day the rest of the media has to follow up because once we've raised it to the level of visibility the national media and including the new york times including the big TV outlets, suddenly have to start responding to this issue. And uh, that's a big part of what our function is, using very, very old school techniques, deep knowledge, deep relationships, investing in that time, um, and having someone who's trusted in those communities that they're prepared to share their stories with him. So this Sue Leather reporting that you do creates um, the basis for data-driven uh, tools. I was wondering whether you can um, give us some examples of those tools that you uh, completed and they are now up on your website and how the audience uh, uses them. Data pervades our reporting and we use it to find stories, we use it to tell stories and we try to use it also to empower our readers by putting them in the center of our data tools. So we make data visualizations like everybody does 
or like many news organizations do nowadays. But we really aren't just trying to make nice pictures that explain the story better. We're really trying to give people tools. So I'll give you a couple of examples. New York recently went through a very complicated, chaotic process of redrawing its political boundaries. And people didn't know weeks before the election whom they were going to be able to vote for, what district they were in. And they had three different levels that they had to figure out. The city council, the state legislature, and the Congress. This story was mainly reported as if it affected politicians because someone could lose their seat because the boundary changed. We decided to report it as it reflected people and to give people a way to make sense of it uh, and still exercise their political rights and be engaged. So we scraped all of the mapping data for the new districts, linked it up to a s address database and enabled people to simply input their address and be told, have they been redistricted? How has the change been in each of the three levels for them? Who is their new local city council? a candidate who is the new congressional candidate uh, and showed them where the map had changed. And then we could lay on top of that additional information about each campaign. So by doing that, we put the ordinary user in the center of the puzzle uh, rather than reporting it in a political horse race uh, kind of a way. So that's very much uh, the approach we take. Of course, we also uh, use data in other ways to inform. We have a economic recovery tracker does live updates of all kinds of key economic indicators, office occupancy, employment in different sectors. We gather live the data from all of the entries into the subway system. So you can see patterns of economic activity across the city and you can understand what's happening in your own neighborhood. Are people able to stay home and work? Or in your neighborhood, are people having to commute to jobs that are in person? That sparks stories for us, it sparks stories for others, and it allows people to locate themselves in the story. This is great, and also I've realized that um, from the beginning of the city, you were really public about the percentage of people in your newsroom, um, women, men, people of color. Um, and I think that you strive to have a balance and have journalists who will connect with communities, as you said, um, on a more deeper level. How is that received from the other end, the end of the audience, where um, this whole discussion that we have now is all about the trust uh, to, to, the, to the journalism that you produce? We believe that diversity and representation in the newsroom is a critical factor in trust and one that should in fact be discussed more in relation to trust. Um, and it's critical for a few reasons. Firstly, it makes you better at your journalism. You are able to tell stories that you would otherwise miss. I'll give you one example. We had a very aggressive vaccine rollout in New York City in 2021. And the claim was made that these vaccines will be prioritized for the communities most affected, and that is lower income communities, immigrants, communities of color. So our reporter, Josefa Velasquez, went to one of the biggest sites and she found a queue outside of people that was almost entirely white, almost entirely from the suburbs, even though this was a low income neighborhood. And there was no one available to speak Spanish because uh, Josefa is Latina and speaks Spanish. She was able to speak to an elderly grandmother in the queue who was Spanish speaking, who was completely confused and bewildered by the process. 
and her reporting on that situation forced a change in policy of access to that center within 12 hours and subsequently forced further changes across the whole city just in the next few days. So clearly the fact that the person we sent there had the cultural competence, the language skills and the insight to tell that story made it possible. Uh, Secondly, people being able to relate uh, to those that are covering them and see that the people that are covering them understand their neighborhoods come from the same neighborhoods that the newsroom reflects New York uh, certainly deepens their ability to believe in what it is that we're doing. So that's absolutely critical for us. And, you know, I think New York is, of course, a deeply, deeply diverse city, also a deeply, deeply unequal city. But these factors affect any major metropole that you can think about. So I think we should all be thinking, when we think about the trust problem, we also think have to think about diversity and representation. The reason we publish that data is to show that we're building it in structurally into our mission. And to circle back to the user experience, the experience of the person who values your product as a journalistic product, your journalism, I realize that Um, you try to make the user experience as easy as possible, as friendly as possible uh, in all levels, from the content to your website. And I wanted you to, um, I, I want you to discuss a little bit more um, this philosophy behind the city. Local news in general, certainly in the United States, but I have seen the same in Europe, is afflicted by often a really terrible user experience. I come to your website and I find that I have to close five pop-ups before I can read the story. Maybe I'm even a subscriber, but the paywall doesn't recognize me and I have to log in five times uh, before I can reach what I want to reach. It's slow to load. I have concerns about my privacy because of the ad tech that's on there. So the cost to me of actually accessing that news can be very, very high in terms of time, uh, in terms of the security of my data and so on. Now, I wouldn't say at the city we have completely fixed usability, but we, believe, but we believe deeply in it and we're investing in building a great user experience going forward. We have to both create story formats and tools that uh, recognize how people are coming to us. Are they reaching us on a phone? Um, are they re- sharing a, a story by a, a message? Are they using a tool that they want to get information out of quickly and then be able to leave. So we've just hired an extraordinary new chief product officer, Scott Klein, who's one of the real pioneers of, of news apps, uh, data reporting and, and, and tools. And we're going to be investing more and more in building a powerful, effective, relevant user experience for all New Yorkers, not just for people who have plenty of time to read 5,000 words. Before we close um, this conversation, I just want to say that... Um, you are a foreigner in New York, uh, an outsider and insider at the same time, uh, working for a local newspaper, um, uh, reporting um, for the problems and issues that are rising from day-to-day life in New York. And I just wanted to ask you if you have any advice to local journalists worldwide and journalists in general Uh, from your diverse experiences around the world and your experience uh, leading the city's journalism. I've been very lucky to work all over the world, to work in South Africa, to work in India, to work in the US. And, you know, 
oftentimes our global journalism community is fragmented and we think we have very different motivations and very different problems. And of course there is texture and specificity everywhere, but all of us really care about our civic mission. We care about making life better for the people whom we serve. We care about democratic outcomes. And at the local level, if you apply the highest standards of journalism at the local level, if you don't think that it's a second-class activity that you graduate from to national or international coverage, you can deliver impact on an absolutely unrivaled degree because you get to face the lawmakers and the powerful eyeball to eyeball and deliver results for your readers. And so I think if you focus on your journalistic mission in a local context, the same as you would if you were on a high-profile national investigative team, you can have an extraordinarily rewarding uh, career, but you can also deliver extraordinarily positive outcomes uh, for your community and, in fact, address um, some of the political democratic damage that's happening at a national level by doing great work locally. All right. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you for inspiring us. Thanks for having me on. It's really been great to be here. The interview was conducted in person at the International Journalism Week 2022, organized by IMED in Athens. Sound design and mixing by Aris Athanasopoulos. For more audio content by IMED, please visit podcast.imed.org.